after 30 years of collecting Star Wars memorabilia, Tad Moore decided to sell his entire collection. After reading his August 11th post announcing his retirement from the hobby, I was curious to hear his story. I wanted to understand what would cause a longtime collector like Tad to make a life-changing decision like that. I wanted to know how he felt about it now that the decision was official and the items he once owned were no longer his. Last week, you kindly joined me for a collector's chat with Tad. Together, we learned more about him and why collecting Star Wars figures, toys, and pre-production pieces resonated with him over the past three decades. Tad gave us insight as to how joyous and fulfilling the collecting experience was for him, until it wasn't. He explained how a flame that once burned so brightly dimmed over the years, and when it finally became apparent to him that his heart was no longer in it. He did not carry the bitterness of a scorned lover, or the defiance of someone who burns bridges easily. Instead, as he detailed so perfectly in our previous conversation, collecting had simply run its course. He was ready for a new phase in his life, one unburdened by the acquisition of things. He had a zen-like peace about the decision, and he welcomed a new path with a traveler's wanderlust. You and I had spent an hour and a half speaking with Tad in the last episode. And yet, as our time neared its end, I felt we had so much more to discuss with him. We understood the who of the story. We understood the why. And in many ways, we understood the how, as in how he was finally able to part with his collection. But there were still two aspects I wanted to explore with Tad. The first revolved around the what of the story. I thought you'd find it interesting to learn more about the first items that would be available for sale from Tad's impressive collection. Tad had shipped his collection to Hake's Auction, an auction house that focuses on Americana collectibles from the 20th century and beyond. And while Hake's planned to integrate Star Wars items from Tad's collection into a series of upcoming auctions, the first one is approaching quickly. Bidding for catalog auction number 239 ends November 15th and features some attention-grabbing items for fans of the vintage Kenner figure line. I wanted to hear about some of the more exciting pieces, and I wanted Tad to share the stories behind them. This offering covers everything from 12-backs and rare-carded items to the early Revenge of the Jedi proof cards to iconic pre-production artifacts like a gold prototype Darth Vader figure case. And the second area I wanted to cover with Tad in this episode consisted of questions about his time as a Darth Vader focus collector and the overall impact of Star Wars on his life. And I wanted to know if he had any concerns about how his items would perform at auction, especially as we are well past the peak of pandemic-era collecting. I wanted to know if he was truly at peace with his decision, if he would ever return to collecting, and what further advice he'd pass on to newer and established collectors. A number of collectors reached out to me over the past week regarding the conversation with Tad. Many of them were touched by Tad's thoughtful and mature approach to his decision. His words and self-reflection resonated with them. Tad energized our fellow collectors to look inward. 
His story caused these collectors to step off the conveyor belt for a moment and to take the time to examine how far they've traveled to that point. And more importantly, Tad gave each person a reason to assess their collecting habits and to think about the future and what part the hobby may or may not play in the coming years and decades. This is part two of a conversation with Tad Moore, the collector who sold his entire Star Wars collection after 30 years. This is a look at some of Tad's storied and spectacular items featured in the upcoming Hakes auction. This is a tribute to the wonder and joy of being a passionate Star Wars collector and to embracing a new and exciting phase of life. This is the passing on of the relics of a collection and of the wisdom that comes from decades of collecting. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. Tad, we are back for part two of our conversation on collecting and on the upcoming Hakes auction as well, too. Um, as a Vader-focused collector, how difficult was it for you to part with your run? Um, that was definitely the most difficult part, um, you know, because that was the last thing I think I decided to say okay to letting go um just because it is it's like a been kind of a longer term and uh much more in depth so you get to know all the weird little nuances and all that kind of stuff and i mean you choose a focus for a collect or for a reason too so you know darth vader was clearly the best so it's always hardest to let darth vader items go um but no it was it was hard um i think i kind of it was to a certain extent i had already started the process a little bit because a couple of years ago, maybe three or four years ago, I decided um, even within that Darth Vader run that I was only going to focus on vintage items. So like I had already sort of started selling off um, modern prototypes and things like that to friends. So there was, it had kind of already the process had had started. So it was a little bit easier, but uh, that was definitely the hardest part of it um, of all the stuff they took, I think. You said that Darth Vader was the best. Um, what what about Vader appealed to you to make you want to collect him? Um, man, I don't know. That's like a super deep childhood question. Um, I, to be honest, I think it's as simple as like when you're a kid and that there's never been anything in anybody's life like Darth Vader before. 
it. You know what I mean? Like every other character, every other thing, you can relate to something else or, but like that crazy menacing, dark breathing, like there was, there was no predecessor to that. So that was the thing that stood out to me most, um, being a kid was just this like, wow, you know, everybody else, there's, there's plenty of movies with guys in vests. There's, you know, to, to relate to Han Solo, there's plenty of other things, but, um, like Darth Vader is clearly the game changer of that experience. I know what you mean. And I think that's why he's been popular for so many decades because he is something completely original and something that we, people hadn't seen before that. Um, for you, was it his character that was really interesting or that drew you to him or was it more of the design or both? Uh, both. I mean, clearly the, the menacing character is just super cool. Um, so I guess the other weird thing I'll go back to it too, is because of my age, um, my first experience was with Jedi. Um, like I never saw a new hope or empire strikes back in the theater. Like, uh, I was just old enough. I was born in 79. So I was four when, um, Jedi came out. And then I don't even think I saw it until, you know, like they would bring it back to the theaters just randomly, um, for the next couple of years. And it wasn't, um, until maybe I was like five that I saw Return of the Jedi, but that was my first experience of it. And like the throne room duel is like the end all be all experience of the entire star Wars saga. And like that just totally resonated with me. And so that like character was super cool, but then also, you know, the design, like, again, there's like, there's nothing you can point to that's like that. Ah, that's reminiscent of, Darth Vader, at least in my small world, you know, living in Northern Arizona as a kid, like there was no reference point for that, like giant breathy guy that chokes people with his finger. Um, so yeah, I think it was a combination of both. And I think that's what fans of today's era forget, uh, or maybe aren't familiar with that when those first movies came out, um, they were like they were unlike anything we'd ever seen before and they were unlike anything that that was ever shown on screen before as well too so now those designs and and that type of storytelling that sci-fi fantasy storytelling is much more common but back then i mean it was just it it was otherworldly and it it felt like right. something that was completely unique to anything else that had come before it and it was almost like the the uh, the line, you know, where everything after it, like there was a, there was pre star Wars and post star Wars. Yeah, totally. I agree. So as a Vader focus collector, what are some of the things you've learned about the character along the way? Um, so I guess I'll preface that with, I'm unlike, I think many star Wars fans and that, like, I don't do a deep dive. Um, like, man, people are going to hate me for this, but I've never read a novel. Um, like, so when people are all into, like, the Thrawn trilogy and all that, like, I never did it. I never um, scratched that surface. I've read um, in recent times or more recently, I've gotten into a couple of the more, like, the Marvel um, comic series here and there. Um but like the backstory and all of that stuff, like I really don't have. And honestly, I, 
I mean, besides what was just available on screen. So like the clone, the, you know, what happens in the prequels and um, that kind of a thing. So I don't have any additional sort of insight on the character itself or like things that, you know, I found out about it that was cool. Um, and I kind of like it that way, you know, like the, I think you can get bogged down. Like people try to, you know, project all these crazy theories on things and really try to get into all this nuanced detail. And it, to me, it sort of kills some of the fun of the, like the mystery and, um, you know, like just the, the lore that you can sort of impose on yourself without going into, you know, well in 49 BBY, the, you know, the clone Republic did, you know, I'm like, (laughs) I, like, I have no idea. Like people are going to be mad too, but I, man, you're going to be really mad, but I have to just interject about Ahsoka, uh, like the the series. (laughs) Sure. So like, that's one of my, that's one of my downfalls. It's like, I never watched the clone war series. I never watched rebels. Um, so like when I'm watching that, like the, the whole thing, I think it would, it's harder to resonate with when you don't know that part of it. Um, so like there was times I, it just kind of felt like a big inside joke to me. Um, because I think I am the odd star Wars fan that doesn't go very much further than, um, like just the, the movies themselves. Um, but yeah, again, I, I think I kind of like that. So I, I don't really know much. I don't think I have a super in-depth knowledge of like the history of Darth Vader. I mean, I do like to geek out about, you know, when you get into the, like the differences in the helmet from movie to movie, that's always been cool to me. And, um, and then just, you go pretty far into the toys once you start like realizing card backs and, um, but I still don't, I would like to say, I don't know nearly as much as some of the bigger, um, the other Darth Vader focus collectors like Pat and Bill and, um, you know, like somebody will ask me like, does this Cape belong with this one? I was like, I don't know. Is it black? Is there (laughs) holes in it? Like, like, I don't know like what texture it should have or, you know, what the, the country of origin marking should be. Like I never got into that kind of stuff, but, um, yeah, I don't know if that answered anything. I feel like, I feel like I just rambled for a little while. No, it it did. It gave me a better perspective of of how you see Star Wars, and I, I like that. Um, I think I, I think a lot of times we get into collecting, and then we we assume that we have to jump into diving into as many details as possible. And I think a lot of times by diving into those details, sometimes it's really rewarding if that's what you care about, and if it's not, it just feels more like a burden. And then it's just, it's a bunch of notes that you have, uh, or a bunch of details and you almost lose the essence of why you cared about the character in the first place. Um, so I'm actually like that with Ahsoka. I, I, I've kind of set boundaries as far as what I collect or what interests me. Um, I don't think you're missing too much with the Ahsoka series. That's just my personal opinion. Um, but, uh, but I, I, I think as somebody who appreciates Vader, I think you would enjoy maybe seeing something like the clone wars. If you haven't watched it already, which will give you kind of a, to me, it gave me a fuller appreciation of Anakin without loading me up with all of these kind of note taking details about him. Like he did this at this point, and this is how long his Cape was. None of that mattered, but you got to see 
I think the Clone Wars did a better job than the prequels of giving us an Anakin that we could really relate to and connect to so that when he changes over to Darth Vader, you really feel it. You feel the the loss of it, um, the loss of, of, of his goodness and, and the effect of that as well, too, and, and, and the pain that comes with that in that universe. Right on. Yeah, everybody loves it. I mean, I haven't met anybody that, that didn't like it, but it's just – and I have – literally no excuse now like i at one point i bought the blu-rays and they're still wrapped up and then like now disney plus is like three clicks away and i still haven't watched them so i don't have any like viable excuses anymore but one day (laughs) maybe maybe david one day i'll do it well and sure and you know what it's it's there for you um for if and when you are interested enough to to check it out i mean for me i didn't I didn't watch it until 2016 and I was just, I started watching it as a way to kind of fill the void between the force awakens and rogue one. Um, and wound up from the first episode, just wound up loving it. It really connected with me, um, emotionally and, and just in the design and everything like that. But I, I also like the fact that you can appreciate Vader and you can collect Vader and it doesn't mean that you have to read every single novel or any of the novels that come out or look at any of the ancillary material that you've really, the, the films resonated with you early on. That character has been almost special. And I think in some sense you kind of keep it that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you're a kid, like you're having pretend sword fights um, with your like wooden laser sword, not because you know of the, like the absolute backstory or how his breathing apparatus works or anything like that, but just because it's fun, you know, and he was a cool character. And I think sometimes we try to go too, too deep in that. So I I get it as far as the character. Is there anything that you learned along the way as far as the memorabilia or about Vader collectors in general? Um, Well, I learned very early on that there's a premium that you (laughs) You have to pay for literally everything because um, everybody wants it. So, like, sure. it, it's funny. The, the old Vader tax um, hits pretty hard, pretty fast. Um, things I learned along the way. Um, I think more so about, like, the the card backs um, and the different fo- the alt photos. And um, I really enjoyed just all of the foreign side of things because again like small town like you don't have access to that kind of stuff until technology catches up and then you can realize that you know clipper stickers exist and all of that kind of cool stuff that was always um really fun to me uh the pre-production stuff is always fascinating because like you'll at least for me personally like i will never know the depth that some of the other collectors do so you just start scratching the surface and be like oh that's pretty cool and you know why they did that or how they did that and um, that kind of a thing. But um, I think that's it. And maybe like, it's, it's just the amount, the amount of Vader stuff because he is such a popular character um, is just massive. You know, like when I was in the trying to keep up with everything coming out phase of my collecting, like any sort of line that came out, you knew there was going to be, something with Darth Vader on it that you were going to want to track down. Like if it was a Frisbee or a new set, you know, of dish soap, you're like, Oh, there's going to be a dish soap with Darth Vader on it. And I got (laughs) to find that thing. And, um, so yeah, that, that was something I learned 
pretty early on was just the breadth, the, uh, what do they call the Vader tax? You know, there's tons of it and everybody wants it. So you have to pay a premium for anything that remotely looks like Darth Vader. As somebody who collects Ahsoka uh, memorabilia, especially the pre-production stuff, uh, there's certainly an Ahsoka tax on everything as well, too. So I, I definitely understand. Yeah. Um, it seems like the big three are really Vader, Boba Fett, and Ahsoka right now. Um, yeah. They tend to have the – and it, it's it's tough because it does put a little bit of a stress on everything. Um, and it, it does, you know, again, add to the, the burden of collecting. Right. And I – so – bit of a soapbox i never understood the the boba fett phenomenon like how people were so passionate um i mean like before all of the backstory and additional stuff came in but just a character that has such little screen time had such a huge effect on so many people was always interesting to me like i I never understood um that like fever that people have for that boba fett tax and what they'll the premium they'll pay for for vintage stuff um yeah i mean it was weird like we never read it never when i was a kid that never resonated with me like i would never pretend that i was boba fett or it was just like oh there's a kind of a cool guy that like shoots fire out of a rocket pack and um but not i mean there's so many characters that why he was so much singled out was always like fascinating to me but I have some stuff for sale in the Hakes auction, so I highly encourage the Boba Fett tax. <laughs> All right, so getting into your um, your collection and the fact that you did sell it off, uh, you you have shipped it to Hakes. Uh, they now have your entire collection, and um, and you will. So they'll be selling it, selling portions of it in um, a number of auctions uh, in the future, um, including one that is going to be ending. Uh, November 14th and 15th and and your items are all in the November uh, 15th part of the auction. Um, what percentage of your overall collection was Star Wars related? Um, you, that they took, you mean? Uh, just, in general. just in general. Um, so that's a hard one. I think I focused much more on Star Wars, but um, like if it was an actual number count of items the my comic book collection would probably be more just because it's much easier to you know fill box after box of comics and not take up a significant amount of space and um, so i think if it was um like item number wise more comic books than anything but if it was if it was just like scope and size of the collection of you know like the room it takes and the displays and all that it was definitely star wars Okay, and then as far as say toy-related memorabilia, um, would you say that Star Wars was the majority of it? Oh yeah, yeah, it's almost all of it. There's a little bit of um, uh, superpowers, Batman stuff, and then um, I was always a DC guy, so a, like a very small amount of, of DC-related type things. But um, gosh, it's probably like ninety-five percent Star Wars, five percent not Star Wars. My collection. And of the Star Wars stuff, is there is there a piece that you were completely shocked that you were able to acquire during your collecting journey? Um, yes, there are several. Um, so I never thought I would have a gold Vader case. Um, like when you start researching that and you see that, 
like on the collector's archive and read about it. Um, never thought that that would honestly like pre-production Vader for a long time. I was like, I'm never going to have anything from that. Cause it's just so coveted and, um, so expensive. But, um, luckily over the years I was able to get three different variations from, um, some amazing people that gave me the opportunity to, to add it. Um, so that was, that was pretty cool. Uh, I mean, there, there are certainly much larger collections and everything, but it was neat to me that that was the one I think too, when people come like, because it's a big shiny gold thing that that tends to stand out more and you can explain a little bit about like how they were trying to make C3PO and all that. Um, it was cool to have like a shelf with three different cases on there. So the case is one of the most iconic pre-production pieces in all of star Wars. And I think, so it was, um, they were, they had, uh, painted it or sprayed it gold um, in order to test because they were also making uh, for the return of the Jedi film. I believe they were making uh, a C-3PO cases is correct. Right. Right. Um, And I don't know the exact, it's like vacuum formed. Um, Like, I don't think it's to my understanding. It's not necessarily like, it's almost like a uh, coating on it, not necessarily a paint. That would Um, make sense. Yes. From the way I understand it, too, the majority of those were just sort of black cases that they would try, um, you know, that that technique on. But I was fortunate that all three of mine were um, first shot cases that had been coated. So I had one that was just shot in like a gold plastic um, where they tried that. But it's it's I'm sure you've seen that image. It's like a dull gold. Um, so it doesn't have it doesn't look like three PO. It doesn't have that bright uh, sheen. Yes. Um, to it. So I had one of those. And then I also had one that was shot in gold, but then also um, coated as well to try to get that. So it's, it's closer to it, but it tended to be, it was like more of a, um, like almost a silvery. It wasn't nearly as that bright yellow gold as the, um, the one that's up for auction now. And then the one that I have in the auction right now is uh really special to me because it, it's a uh, white, it was a white first shot and then they coated it in the gold. So when you open it up, it's hard to tell from the outside, but when you open it up, you can see, you know, some of the trays where the edges are, are white plastic underneath. And, um, that one's pretty cool to me. It's wonderful. And you're right. It is vac metalized. It even says that in the listing. Um, and that's a process. Uh, if you have a C3PO figure from 1978, um, essentially it's the same thing where it was coated in this, um, in this metallic gold. Um, and it's a process that due to environmental concerns, Hasbro, which took the place of Kenner no longer does. In fact, they stopped doing it, I believe in 2007. Um, but that case is so iconic. Um, I, I don't know how, um, how connected you were to Steve Sansweet's book from concept to screen to collectible that came out in 1992, but that was the cover the cover of the book was essentially the, the, um, the gold vac metalized Vader case. And um, I think when people saw that for the first time, I think that's also a lot of what pushed collectors to hunt for this type of stuff too, because it was something that was so different and so unique. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. I have the book and, um, yeah, it's one of those weird, I think because it is like how you said, it's so different. Like sometimes when pre-production stuff, it looks very much like a, a production toy, but 
you know, it might be a painted hard copy or whatever, and it's harder to tell. But when you see that, you know, it's clearly not normal, like not what you saw on the shelf as a kid. And you're like, what the heck is that thing? Yeah. Yep. Definitely has a, it's a own allure. It does. And it's become, to me, it's become the the poster child of Star Wars pre-production collecting. I love that. Um, also, I'm glad you were able to get three over, over the time uh, that you were collecting. Um, yes, very lucky. So as we get closer to the auction now, um, how are you feeling about your decision that you've parted with everything? Oh, I'm good. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's hard not to watch it and just kind of see progress. And, but um, no, it's exciting to see. It's cool. To, the catalog came in the mail. Gosh, was it yesterday? And it was pretty cool to flip through and like see photos of my stuff and then point out to my kid, you know, like, hey, that's that thing used to be on the shelf upstairs. And <laughs> um, it's pretty cool. It's cool to see. And I do, um, it's fun to see people bidding on things because I'm like, that's, it's neat that, you know, it's going to end up in different places that enjoy it and all that fun stuff. So now I'm feeling good. And like, um, you know, as far as what they get and all of that stuff, I, I was at peace with that a long time ago where I was like, the market's the market. And, you know, you can't affect what somebody will or won't be willing to pay at any given time. But um, I'm totally cool with whatever happens. Okay. And then for this first auction, did you have any say as to which pieces would be in the catalog? Or was that something that Hakes was completely in control of? No, they did it all. And to be honest, that that was how I wanted it. Like, I really did want it to be like, here's the stuff and you guys do what you do. Um, and you know, let me know how, (laughs) how it goes. Um, so no, I didn't have, um, anything beforehand. There was a, like, they sent me a spreadsheet of, Hey, these are the items that we're going to be putting in the auction and the starting prices and all that stuff. And I was like, looks great. Let's go. Yeah. Um, but I, I, they've been doing it so long. I think they know, um, I mean, relatively newer to vintage Star Wars, but just auctions in general, they know how, what to put in and how to place them and all the photography and descriptions and all that good stuff. So, no, I haven't been involved in that. Luckily, I'm glad I'm not. Okay, and I think that makes sense. Um, I could definitely see somebody you know, being connected to the items that they're parting with and wanting to have more of a say. And you're right. I mean, if... You know, Hakes has been doing this for so long. They've gotten some some pretty solid results with their sales, so they do know what they're doing. And um, <laughs> I think yeah. uh, I think you're in good hands with them. I do. I do too. Yes. All right. So let's dive into the auction a little bit because I want to talk about some of the pieces from your collection that are in this first Hakes auction. Um, so. If you were so, I I was able to see your pieces by searching your name, Tad Moore on the Hake site. And, um, and the first pieces that come up are part of the, the comic section and they're all related to Batman, uh, with the exception of, yes. of one piece of original art. So you were a pretty avid Batman collector. Why did Batman appeal to you? Um, so the same sort of situation in 1989, I remember standing in line forever for that Tim Burton Batman. And then you see, a Batman that you've never seen before. Like, you know, it's not the Adam West campy, you know, sometimes you just can't get rid of a bomb Batman. It was like this dark (laughs) black menacing, um, the Joker pulling out the gigantic gun at the end to shoot down the bat wing. 
um god man we would get the like the trading the crappy trading cards and put them in this album that would just beat them to you know they're all bent up because you had to just shove them into this little album and like we would draw i was i always like drawing when i was a kid so like we would draw have drawing contests of like who can draw batman the best and um man yeah that like 1989 that movie um was a like a big what do they call it in that that pixar movie with the memories um with the spheres and it's like one of those that you save for the rest of your life is that um, inside out cool. yeah what was that one uh like a core memory it was one of those it was one of the golden balls of my of my memory that got saved into my brain um okay. and then like as you get older too you like that was sort of your big introduction to batman and then you're like gosh she's been around a long time and there's all these other villains and um you know there's just a gigantic world of batman to to research and see and find and enjoy but it all comes back to like standing in line at university plaza theater here in arizona or that waiting for that 1989 batman to start i share the same obsession with you i i just i was from the moment that i saw not even the um the film but the the material for it that there was this batman film coming out um i just became obsessed with it i used to i I remember going to school dressed as the joker and it wasn't halloween (laughs) nice (laughs) yeah so it was just uh there was something really really special about seeing a serious batman like that especially after the campy batman um that fans had gotten in the 60s and 70s so um totally Okay, so you have some great pieces here. Can you give us a, a little idea of more of the notable ones uh, that are in the November Hakes auction? Um, sure. So um, I pulled it up to remind myself too, but um, the vast majority of the ones that are graded, um, or well, the vast majority of these in the collection were our keys. I was, I really was trying to get a Silver Age key of all of the main um rogues gallery of villains so like the first silver age riddlers in there and the first poison ivy and all that kind of good stuff um the very first one that's for sale that batman number two i bought that several years ago at new york comic-con it's the only time i've been and like i had sold stuff and in preparation for like i'm going to it's the new york comic-con so i'm going to try to find an amazing batman book um and like i was way out of the loop then on like golden age books. Um, so, you know, like you walk from booth to booth and see all these amazing books, <laughs> man, and it's super embarrassing. But I remember like, uh, this one guy had a booth and it had, he had like three or four Batman ones. Um, but they were all like really low grade. Like they were like 1.5. Um, this one's only a 2.5, but you know, there was like some 2.0s and I was like, I wonder if I could, get a Batman one if it's in this low grade. And I'm like, Hey, what, how much is that Batman one? And he's like, I for, forget exactly what he said, but it was like, Oh, it's like $45,000. And like, I had to somehow <laughs> like not embarrassingly just fade back away and, you know, be like, yeah, I shouldn't even be in your booth. Um, <laughs> That's why you do that thing where you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. I'll, uh, I'll just uh, give me some time to think about it. I'll, I'll probably be back. <laughs> just hold, right, hold on right. to it for me. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, but then I did find that, that Batman two in a different booth. Um, and it was really cool. Cause I want to say it was like 1800 bucks or something like that back in 
in the day. And uh, it was when CBCS was actually super new too. So I remember um, buying the book and then actually taking it directly to the CBCS booth and asking them questions about it, you know, like your grading and all that. So it was pretty cool. But, um, but that's, that was like my pride and joy that Batman number two, it's the earliest Batman book that I would ever be able to own. Um, and then another one that I actually really like that, um, many people might not fully understand that Batman 19, um, is the first time that Dick Sprang drew Batman. Um, and I always liked that sort of the way that Dick Sprang drew it. Like if you see it on a t-shirt or something, you would recognize it, that it, his style. Um, and it always, I always really liked that one is I don't think he gets the love that, that he should. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's really like a lot of the, the silver age first appearances. And then a couple of the iconic covers, you know, like everybody wants that Batman two fifty one with the, the Joker holding up the giant card, um, you know, has nothing to do with the story. It's just that cover. Everybody loves that cover and me too. So, um, is that, is that Neil Adams? Uh, yes. Yep. Okay. Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill. Fantastic. Um, my yeah. favorite piece, uh, Batman related piece in your collection in this catalog, uh, is one from 1990 and it's not a comic, um, but it's it's one that you and I had talked about uh, just you know privately last time as well. But it's the um, it's the Dark Knight collection Turbojet art. Um, can you explain a little yeah. bit about it? Because I, I think it's something really unique and really special. Yes. So that was a really hard one to get rid of too. Um, that was one of the last deciding when I was like, yeah, if I'm gonna you know get rid of things, I'm gonna get rid of all of it. But um, yeah, so that's uh, like a mixed media, mostly airbrushed, um, the actual box art from that Turbojet Batman on the, the Dark Knight collection. And I got that years ago from uh, Bill Byers. Um, was I was able to get it, and you know he was super nice and let me make payments and all that kind of good stuff. And um, it actually just came as it came from Kenner. So there was like a, a large sort of tracing paper cover on it that was you know, masking taped up to the top kind of a thing. Um, and I have it, it's, it's all still in there. I had it, uh, framed here in, um, after I got it, you know, with like archival glass and professionally matted and they, they were able to just put the tracing paper sort of up back behind it. To, Cause I was, I was adamant that I wanted to keep it intact. Um, but you couldn't really display it with, you know, a, a cover over it. Um, but man, I love that thing. Yeah. And the, the, I mean, here they call it the turbojet, but the turbojet Batwing, but the Batwing itself was one of the coolest parts of um, the original movie in 1989. So I really dug it. Like, you know, when the he's flying it and he pauses up in front of the moon to make a makeshift bat symbol, <laughs> yes. like that's kind of a, come on, that's that's pretty rad. So it was cool to be able to get that. I thought Tim Burton did a great job with that. And I just, I've always loved, you know, and especially as a kid, you see that and you go, oh my gosh, that's the bat signal. <laughs> that's, yep, it's perfect. Right. Very cool. Well, so, I mean, these are great items. Um, there is, uh, there's a lot for anyone who's looking for Batman stuff. Um, and as, as a fellow Batman fan, it was really nice to see um, the different first appearances in the comics as well. But this art for me is just my, my favorite and probably my, one of my favorite pieces in your entire collection for this catalog. 
Um, getting, getting into some of the star Wars items. Um, so let's see. I broke this down into segments. Um, and the, so it begins really with the 12 backs. Um, how important were 12 backs to you when you were collecting? Because I know to a lot of vintage collectors, um, that really, you know, comes, it comes up to the forefront a lot. Yeah. Um, so it is kind of weird. I think, like I said before, I was a return of the Jedi era kid. So like, I never saw these, you know, they, I never went to a store and saw a 12 back toy, um, to collect. But once you start collecting, it has that lore of like, this is the starting point, you know, of the entire thing. So it does have a special, um, place. And I really did like, that was one of my, when I started getting into vintage and branching out over Vader, that was the first thing is I was like, I really want to try to get a set of 12 backs. Um, you know, which was a very slow process because 12 backs are expensive. Um, very expensive. Yes. Yes. And then you get into the sort of the super cool nuances of the different, oh man, the, like these two fingers are pulling out the lightsaber slightly differently. So it's a different, it's different back. And then like the, even the cards themselves having a different, like made in Taiwan or um, made in Hong Kong and all that kind of stuff is, is really cool to see in the, like the skew footer ones. Um, but no, the 12 backs, which is, it's weird because it's, it has nothing to do with like a memory from childhood or anything, but strictly from collecting because I wanted to have, and I'm assuming that's kind of why most people want is you want, these were the first ones. Like there's no return, I, return of the Jedi figure without a star Wars 12 back having existed first. Um, so you wanted sort of that first run of everything. And I think that mirrors what you did with Batman, where you were aiming for first appearances as well, even though you weren't around <laughs> during the earliest uh, era totally. of Batman. Um, right. So there's there are two here, two figures that really stood out to me that that I like, and I, I think um, you know I'm somebody where condition is very important. I, I love having it be as as card fresh and as as close to the way that they were in stores when they first appeared. Um, so you have right. a 12 B Luke which is graded at an AF, AFA 85, very hard for a Luke because um, the the tunic, Luke's tunic usually discolors. Um, there always seems to be some issue, whether it's the bubble or the card. So you have that one. And then you also have a 12A Obi-Wan Kenobi, and it's the skew footer graded at a CAS 85. Um, the reason why it's a skew footer, those were some of the earliest ones to come out. And if you look at the bottom of the footer, like where the um, where the figure, that little piece of, of colored cardboard that the figure stands on, um, sometimes some of those will have a a tiny skew. I believe it's usually in white, um, and it's just it's a simple little skew number. But that's some of the earlier ones, really tough to find, and they do command a premium. Yeah, yep, they're they're fun. I like. I can't tell you the number. So that that Kenobi, I think I was just like an eBay find. Um, and I can't, like most collectors, I'm sure all of us are guilty of like pinching and zooming every photo of a 12 back, seeing if we can like see between their legs, a little discoloration that might be a number. Um, but yeah, yeah, those, those are some of my favorite. The, the Luke Skywalker is actually really cool um, because it came in that grade um, from, I bought it from Andrew Davis, a good guy down in Phoenix. Um and it was one of those where I was like, I've never been a big grade guy, to be honest. Um, like I kind of 
there's a part of me that likes to see a little bit of weathering because it's, you know, it's kind of loved and more nostalgic and vintage feeling to me. But man, that 85 is like super gorgeous. And now I, I understand why people want um, like just a really high end, high grade example, because it's just super cool to look at and hard to believe. Like, like how you said, I always wondered, like, how do these survive this long without somebody dropping a box or, you know what I mean? Like a ding somewhere or somebody's cat jumped on the counter and put a, you know, like there's so many things that should, should have gone wrong between 1978 and me having this toy and, but it didn't. So, yeah. I think that's part of, of it for me as well, too, is that, you know, not that these are extremely common, um, because they're, they're certainly not, but to find one in a condition that, that looks like it came right from a store the day before, uh, is very hard, very, very difficult. I, I think sometimes collectors don't realize how difficult it is. Um, because a lot of times they'll say, oh, well, you know, 12 backs are a dime a dozen and, and they really aren't. And as you get into that, that higher grade or that higher quality, you know, where it's, it's unpunched, no price stickers, uh, clear bubble, right. the bubble isn't dinged. The car doesn't have veins on it. I mean, it is really difficult. So I like, I like, um, I like aiming for, for ones like that. And, and these are two really special ones. Do you remember the first 12 back that you ever purchased? Um, yes, it was a Vader. Um, and actually the first 12 back. So I just mentioned Andrew, um, but I bought it from Paul Konatsky down in the Valley years ago too. Um, and it's not in this auction, but I remember the only reason I got it is because, um, it was, it's graded. And in, in my opinion, it was really cool, but most people didn't like it that the, the Cape had discolored into that. Have you ever seen it when a, like a Vader Cape becomes sort of that rainbow, Yes. Like, I don't know if it's the, the plasticizers or something like leaching out, but, um, but it had that rainbow cape. And so like, I was able to, it was the first one that I could afford. Um, and I bought that one and I've always loved that one because it stood out like, you know, where most people are like, ah, oh, that's a discoloration and not, um, what we want, not desirable, but like, if it sits in a row of them, it jumps out and I always like that one. But yeah, that was the first one I think that I, that I remember bought. It certainly does stand out, and it's one of those things too that it's it happens to a number of them, um, and it, yes. we're fortunate that it's one of the the cooler uh, <laughs> one of the cooler degradations right. uh, that, that we we'd see on a on a figure like that. Um, I also right. I love that the fact that you mentioned that you had gotten um, two pieces, one from Andrew and, and one from Paul. Um, I don't know how many people would know Andrew and Paul, but in our collecting circles, especially you know with vintage collecting and modern pre-production collecting, um, Andrew and Paul are two of the biggest, and um, and they're just they're two amazing, wonderful guys. And and I think any time that you can point to getting a piece from a friend like that, especially somebody you know, both of them they've been mentors to people, uh, they've been really connected within our community, uh, and they're just overall good guys. It just it, to me, it just adds an extra layer to making these items special. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I agree 100%. And I think uh, last time I talked about how I'm, um, somewhat, I'm pretty removed. Like I'm, it's a couple hour drive down to the Valley from where I'm at. But I remember like the first time, um, I want to say it was on rebel scum. I got a message from Paul. It was like, Hey, we saw that you collect and you're in Arizona. Um, we're going to have a little get together, do you want to come down? And I was like, okay, like 
And I went down and they had, none of them had met me. It was, I mean, I want to say there was like just four or five of us that met at a, like a bar and had dinner and stuff. And then after everybody's like, yeah, you want to come look at my collection? <laughs> you know, I got to tour some of the most amazing collections ever and then like in the back of my mind i'm like how do you know that i'm not just a complete like psycho that you're letting me like into your house and showing me like these amazing things and i'm like this is pretty awesome but yeah um they definitely have helped with tons of stuff along the way just in purchases and questions and um yeah it's hard to go i tend to go down there and then i would leave with something somehow because there would always be something really cool that they'd be like hey do you want it it's for sale and i'd be like damn it yes i do <laughs> um but no they're they're really good guys down there it's a really good group i've also learned that you never turn down offers from friends because they're they're ones that usually um you'll be so happy that you said yes and you'll never regret them right totally Okay. So the next ones then, um, there's just, there's four here in this category, uh, just, uh, labeled it special figures, but, um, you have here a 21, a star Wars, Boba Fett carded Boba Fett. It's a 21, a too. So it's the rarest of the the three, the A, B and C. Um, and it's, uh, it's graded at a CAS 60. We had talked about it a little bit last time. Um, but it just, um, you had mentioned that you weren't a, a big Boba Fett fan uh, growing up, but but it is nice to have this. Was there a reason why you picked this one up? Um, yes, because it was for sale on eBay as a buy it now that was underpriced, <laughs> and I've okay. like I was dying to buy like Boba Fett was the biggest hole in my collection. Like I didn't own a single one, and I remember just being on eBay early in the morning, and um, actually there was maybe four or five of the, like the 12 backs too, that I got all kind from the same, like I happened to pull up a search and um, a guy had a handful of vintage carded and I was like, I'm just going to pull a trigger on it. And hopefully they're not fake. Um, but they all had signs that they pointed them to not being like the yellow bubble on a Boba Fett 21 back is typically not something that's faked kind of a thing. Um, but no, I was excited to get it and the, you know, figuring out it was real. And to be honest, I didn't even realize it was a 21A. I was like, I just, I've always wanted a Star Wars card and Boba Fett, but I never wanted to pay the amount for it. Um, so I jumped on it and rolled the dice and hoped it wasn't resealed or fake or something. And it wasn't. So um, I just kind of lucked out that it was a, ended up being a 21A. I think this is the piece that maybe I'm most curious to see where it lands um, as far as its final value uh, during the auction, because right. On one hand, it's a carded 21-back Boba Fett, and so that brings in a lot of attention um, and a lot of excitement for it because there are a lot of Boba Fett collectors, as, as we've discussed, Boba Fett obsessives that are willing to to pay the the, the Boba tax. Um, but at the same time, because of the grade, um, I feel like it. some people may overlook it. And at the same time, because it's a 21A and it is much rarer than say your, your B, which tends to show up much more often. Um, I think it's one of those that in some ways is, is sort of a sleeper that maybe people who aren't as well versed into this will, will just likely pass it over. So I, I hope that doesn't happen because um, this one is a, uh, it's a really, really special one. Right. Yeah. I'm curious too, because for the exact same reasons, it's hard to find, but it's not great shape. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. And then you have a piece that 
I love that I, I don't know if I've ever actually seen before. Um, so it's a 32B Empire Strikes Back Han Solo carded sample. Uh, so what's the difference between this one and, say, the, the production one that showed up at retail? So um, that was another just odd eBay find where um, I was looking at vintage carded stuff. And like the, the one with this one is it has a – that stood out to me in the eBay photos is it has a red – footer like a really bright red um footer instead of that uh what is it green normally i think that matches yes. the back um and so i you know pinched and zoomed and tried to look for reseals and weirdness and i, I couldn't see anything and then um so i i rolled the dice on it and um bought it and then when i got it i was like what the heck is going on because the 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 gun is taped to the side but you know it's not like the typical clear scotch tape it's like christmas wrapping you know opaque um <laughs> scotch tape it's like sticking it to the side and i was like i think i got take it for a ride but i was looking at the bubble over and over and couldn't find any evidence of like a reseal or anything like that and then um i remember i put it on facebook on one of the groups and i was like anybody know anything about this because like it seems like it should be a reseal because it has a, like christmas wrapping tape and a red footer but i can't like, am I missing a sign that I'm not seeing and try to take as many like zoomed in pictures and stuff. And then there was some discussion back and forth. And then, uh, um, it was Ross, Ross Barr was like, yeah, that's a, um, a sample. Um, because I had one too, and like had a photo of a graded one, um, that he had, he didn't have any more, but he had sold, but they existed as, and why there's more than one with this, um, this red footer, I don't even know. And actually the guy, um, that I bought it from thought he had another one as well, but he just like, it never came to fruition. He thought he had another weird one with, because I was asking him as soon as I got it, like I was sending him messages that, you know, did I get taken because it has weird tape on the side and all that kind of good stuff. But, um, yeah, that was like a, just a super happy accident. It was like, a, I thought it was odd that there was a, um, a red, um, stand and honestly i just thought it was kind of a unique variation like there's a i think i have a walrus man in there um 21 back that has like that orange the bright orange um stand instead of the that limey green one and i thought it was just sort of similar to that like hey this is a cool you know discussion piece a conversation starter and um it turned out to be something more than that so pretty stoked on that one and your story highlights something really special too, because it it also you know it it explains the importance of having a network of collectors that you know you know where um, a lot of times you know we get a piece and we're not really sure what it is and being able to take it to a group of people whom we trust and and um, who are very knowledgeable about this stuff and they're able to give us either support for our ideas or a different perspective on it. Um, and so it was nice that you had somebody like Ross who had a similar one or pretty much, you know, almost the same one and was able to, to guide you as to the fact that it was a sample. Um, do you remember what you paid for it you know, as an estimate? No, it was, I want to say it was like 300 bucks. Like it was super cheap. And that was one of the reasons I was like, well, I guess if it doesn't work out, it's probably a really nice conditioned, toy inside and you know that kind of a thing but yeah it was like it wasn't any sort of premium it was i think i had two or three um like different carded toys and this was one of them but 
And for that price, you're able to just take the risk because, as you see, it's, it's totally worth it when it hits. So that's great. Yes, yes. But there are plenty of times when that has not worked out. So, you know, you're like, oh, man, <laughs> sure. there's glue all over this thing. Yeah. But. <laughs> oh, I've been through that with a few carded Lukes, and it's just it, it's never fun. Um, yes, yes. So that, then there are two more um, that I really I love, and they're they're from the uh, the same um, line and subline. So this is uh, Empire Strikes Back 31 A's, and you have IG-88 and the Snowtrooper. Um, both of them are heavily desirable. Uh, they're also harder to find as a 31A. Um, so is, is there anything you can tell us about these two? Because they're in great condition. Yes. So I believe both of those actually came from Andrew Davis as well years ago, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, just hooked me up and let me make payments. And, um, I was in that sort of, like, I think I told you, I have this just super janky spreadsheet and it was a glaring omission, um, on my spreadsheet. And I'm the weirdo that collector that wants to complete lists and things like that. And so I was like, yeah, let me, let me, if you can take take payments, and Andrew was super cool about it, and yeah, both of them came from Andrew as well. That's great. I, I love them. The thirty one A's are some of my favorites in all of Star Wars. I just I think they're really special. Um, it was the debut for a lot of really great figures, um, and uh, and again, just you know, it, it's it's harder to find those thirty one A's and B's sometimes. So uh, those are really nice. Um, I'll add one more on here. I have this kind of further down the list, but it's probably this might be my favorite of the entire lot that you have here and it's the return of the jedi luke skywalker um carded figure uh it's the original luke um but the difference is in the photo um and it's this is graded at an afa 85 very hard to find in this condition can you just give us a little background on this one man i will give you one guess on on where i got that afa 85 return of the jedi I'm going to say Andrew Davis. You nailed it. Yeah. So, yes, thank you, Andrew, for making my entire auction amazing. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, it was the same thing. There was um, – he had one going, and it's one of those big glaring holes. It, like the checklist that I had would break things down by, like, the Luke alt photo and the Vader alt photo and the Han alt photo, and I had none. And I really wanted something, um, and he happened to be selling it, and I was like, can you can you make – payments and he's like sure um but yeah yeah andrew's a good guy so thank you andrew (laughs) well and the reason why this one is so special is because as you said it's an alternate photo uh for the card back so instead of it being luke on tatooine it's him in the gunner station on the millennium falcon and it's just very hard to not only find one of these but also to find one in good condition and as soon as I saw this as an AFA 85, I thought, oh my gosh, like, again, just a very difficult piece to find um, a great one. The alternate photos, you, you also have one, uh, a Han Solo in, in there as well. And I believe that's graded in 85 too. And they're just really nice. There's something about the alternate photo Return of the Jedi um, carded figures that just stands out to me. Uh, I know Kenner did yeah. that to try to revitalize the the line a little bit, you know, and just to get people to buy uh, the earliest figures that they had released, um, but they did a great job right. on all of them. So um, I'm curious to see how much the Luke Gunner sells for. I think there'll be a lot of interest in that one too. Right. I hope so. Yeah. 
And then we have uh, we have two prototypes that I wanted to discuss. So you have uh, the first one is the Jabba the Hut Rotocast Tail. Can you tell us what that is? Yep. Um, so ironically, this is a piece that I bought from a Hakes auction uh, several years ago. Um, but I actually have, and I don't know if I've ever really showed much of it, but I have a pretty cool um, Jabba the Hut pre-production run um, that I've been able to add to over the years that a lot of them came from um, Brock. Um, Brock Walker was able to give me some really amazing things. But this is actually um, when they were designing the the Jabba the Hutt toy for Return of the Jedi, The first one of the first concepts was a soft body, like a soft body with a hard head instead of just the hard plastic one that we all know. Um, so this is actually the rotocast uh, mold that would have been used to make that soft body concept uh, job of the hut. Um, and I actually, it's not in this auction yet, but I actually have a concept body as well to go along with it. And then um, some like first shots and some, um, some other cool things. I really like a hard copy face of job of the hut um, that I'm not exactly sure what the purpose of was for that, but, um, but it's a pretty cool run that, that this happened to, to come up. I want to say it was maybe three or four years ago um, that I was able to grab and, and put with the, the concept soft body as well. When you see it though, you, you could tell why they, why they didn't do it though. It's like this super weird and awkward, fleshy, squishy, like, you know, somewhat inappropriate toy. So you can like <laughs> at first glance, you see why they didn't, move forward very very far with the weird squishy job of the hut but um but it's a cool piece of it when i first uh got the the body from brock like i had a million questions from him before i and he was able to like show me you know internal photos and cool stuff and i'm like man i had no idea that that thing even existed so um that the mold still is around is pretty cool to me and i think most collectors wouldn't even realize that there was this squishy tailed concept java that that was pitched first. Um, we're right. fortunate that we, the, the one that we got, the, the plastic version is really incredible. I, I think it's honestly one of my favorite pieces in, in all of uh, Kenner star Wars. Um, yep. But I just, it's a nice, this one is a nice piece of history and it's one of those where if somebody wins it uh, in a future auction, they could go for the upper part of the body as well too, that, that you owned. Yeah. Yep. There's a pretty cool run that could all go together with it. And then I think the biggest piece in the entire collection, um, the one with the highest estimate and probably the most interest was the one that we had talked about earlier, that first shot gold vac metalized Vader case. Um, was there was there a moment where you thought about maybe keeping just one of the three? Um, yes. Yes. And it would have been this one. Um, there was, because I, I feel like this is the one, it's it's hard to like, that's a, it's a super iconic piece and i mean certainly there are more rare prototype pieces for star wars collectors to get but this is that that one that really stands out that um so yes i i absolutely considered keeping it and it or one of them and it would have been this one but um it's it's also i mean it's it's cool to see that it's up on social media and in the catalog and it's going to end up in a cool home and um so I'm, I'm not, I don't have any regrets or doubts or anything, but uh, yeah, definitely if, if there was one thing, it probably would have been this. 
And I think that makes sense. When we were talking last time, you know, you had said that you had made peace with your decision and, uh, and it just, this one looking at this piece, cause I was trying to figure out, you had mentioned in the last episode that, um, you were considering maybe keeping some pieces, but then you found it very hard that if you were going to keep this one, then why not keep the next one? And why not keep that one? So I, but I looked at this Vader case and I thought if I were in your position, I would probably keep this one where I would be able to, because it, it's so unique and it, it's, it's so iconic and it just stands out. I, I would have taken that, put that on a shelf and said to myself, okay, that's the one I'll give myself, you know, where I won't. Right. It, it's so far removed from the others. But at, the, at the same time, I'm glad you made the decision that you did for yourself because I think it, it is really, you know, difficult. And once you open that, that window a little bit again, it's very hard to close it. So, um, so I think you made a, a smart decision and uh, this is certainly, you know, one of the more iconic pieces I'm very interested to see the type of bidding and, and who winds up with it really. Right. Yeah. I hope that somehow I do learn who gets some of these pieces. It would be like amazing to see a, like a photo of it in its new home or, you know, yeah. Yeah. I really do hope that I'm, I don't know. I mean, obviously that won't happen unless they know me personally, but, um, but it would be cool to someday know. And I mean, I guess that's a good thing about having it, um, um, authenticated by AFA is there'll be like a barcode. So if something comes up ever to see it for sale again, I'm like, Hey, that is, that's the one, you know, it's not a one. It's the one that I used to have. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'm sure it'll end up in a good home. I actually had a magical moment like that happen last year. I was interviewing the gentleman that I mentioned, uh, last episode, um, Paul, the collector who had sold off all of his carded, uh, graded action figures, through Hakes in, in March of last year. And um, as I was going through the the list of them, I noticed that the snowtrooper that he had was the same one that I had sold, um, oh gosh, probably seven years earlier. And uh, and I, nice. I was able to dig up emails and find that I, I had sold it to him and we had had long discussions, uh, you know, just about collecting through eBay, which was really nice. But um, That's sweet. Right on. Yeah, it was it was really cool. Um, I, but I, I hope that that is something that that um, is afforded to you as well, because I think when you have those connections where you could see where it goes, I think it makes it special. Is there one piece over all the others in your collection that you would most like to know where it lands, or to speak to someone who who gets it? Um, man, that's a tough. That's a tough one. Um. I probably would say this case, you know, it's, it is, it's like such an iconic, um, item that I, it would be, I think that was, would be who I would really want to know where, where it landed. Um, and you know, not for, I mean, when I say that out loud, it seems kind of weird, weird and creepy. Like I want to know who has my stuff and it's not that, like, I know it's not mine anymore, and but it would be neat to just sort of like even if they end up selling it to like someday be able to like have this trace of like, you know, I sold it and then this person sold it. Now it's, you know, five owners later it's in this collection, but I had it at one point. It's, it's cool to see. Um, and you know, speaking of that, like you and Paul, I don't know if you remember, but they're not in this auction, but the first time I met you, I was at shoot. What celebration was it? Um, but it was at the, um, uh, I forget what they call the, 
It might have been, yeah. Where it was the the sales, you know, they tried to take the away sales. the room sales by organizing it. Um, oh, okay. So, so that's this, the second night then. Uh, that's usually on, I think it's the Saturday night, and it's in the actual venue itself. Yeah, yep. And you had a bunch of loose um, vintage stuff. And like I had my little checklist, and one of the, some of the last ones that I needed for just a loose vintage run was the, the ones that everybody sort of puts off last, like a, um, a vinyl Jawa and a um, telescoping Luke. And I forget which one of the, it was a blue snaggle tooth. And I don't remember if I needed the dent or no dent one. And like you had all of them, you had multiples of all three <laughs> at your booth. And so I was able to pick up all of them and compare and contrast. And um, yeah, yeah. I bought, so someday you'll see those in the auction and you can be like, ah, I had those in a plastic baggie in, in Chicago for Ted. Um, Ted, that's incredible. Yeah. I brought, um, so I, I brought a small container with me for the room sales and then carried it into that second night. And um, I had, I don't remember too much of what I had. I know I had the vinyl Cape Jawa. I had a few blue snaggletooth, uh, different ones, yeah. different grades, and then different, um, some with the dent, some with the no dent. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, uh, like looking at all of them and you were, um, I remember you were super nice because you were pointing out the things that I was missing. You were like, well, if you look at this one, like there's more of a rub on his hand, but this one has a better this. And like when I was trying to decide which one I wanted, um, but yeah, and they were, it's always nice to buy that kind of stuff at room sales because it's very easy to pack and you can Absolutely. get them on the plane easy. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So someday you'll, or next time you'll see some graded stuff on here then, um, or some, some vintage loose graded stuff. And you could be like, Hey, I remember that vinyl cape Joe. Tad, that is so, that's such a great memory. And I'm, I'm so Cause that had to be the first time that we met. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh, I had no idea who you were. Um, and then you were like, Oh, I'm David. I was like, Oh yeah. Hey David. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Oh, I love that. That's, that's great. Well, I look forward to seeing it in, in the, in the future catalogs as well too. Sweet. I wanted to ask you this, and I, I thought this was kind of an interesting question. Is there an item from your collection that never really connected with you? Maybe you were getting it to complete a run or something like that, that other people just would go crazy over it. You know, if you, if they saw it in person or if you showed it on, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in a, in a collecting group or something to that effect. Mm. Man, that's a good question. And now I'm trying to remember what, what I had. Um, man, David, I don't know. I don't know if there's one that um, I feel like the reverse was often um, occurring. Like if there would be something where I liked it, but most people would totally not um, for one reason or the other. But I can't think of a, a situation where um, there was something that other collectors thought was cool or neat or unique or anything that I didn't. Sorry. That's a tra- no, no, that's okay. I mean, <laughs> terrible I mean, we could, no, cause we could say the Boba Fett, you know, whereas you were, you didn't see, you needed it to complete your run, but it wasn't like the pinnacle piece or you weren't a, a huge Boba Fett, you know, fan and collector. Um, what would be yeah. one of the items that you had that, you really appreciated that other people would sort of gloss over. Um, sure. So like, I think a lot of return of the Jedi stuff, because that's what I grew up with and I really enjoyed like, um, and one of the cool things I don't, a few years ago, 
Um, Tom Neheisel was selling on eBay these, uh, I'm going to mess up this description, but essentially they were, they were Johnny's toys, uh, store stock. I think that like that Kenner had an agreement with them. If I'm understanding it right, or like if they didn't sell, they would buy them back. Um, so he would, he was able to get them like from the Kenner store because they were returns from Johnny's toys in Cincinnati. And like, I bought, God, I probably have seven or eight of those things. And they're all absolutely beat up because they, I mean, they went to the retail. They were terrible. Nobody loved them. They went back to Kenner. Nobody at Kenner loved them except for Tom, like amassing, you know, handfuls of these things, I'm assuming. And they came with, um, he would, you know, he would type up a little, uh, like, a, um, I guess kind of a certificate of authenticity, but it was more of a, like a little description of what they were. And man, I, I love those things. I would, I had like a binder where I put all the, the COAs in and like, I put them in acrylic. I put it and they were, God, they were like $30 figures because it was like Imperial commander that was just absolutely obliterated, but it had a bright Johnny's toys, uh, price tag on it. And I thought those were the coolest thing. And like anybody that would walk through, they'd be like, why do you have, <laughs> these are all like crappy and beat up and, um, but I really liked having those. And there was even multiples. Like I, I ended up with like two, I think two or three of one um, that were the exact same, like the exact same card back. The And I was like, these are just cool. And the price stickers are in a slightly different place. And that's a cool story to have. But, um, but those, I think most people like just absolutely don't care. And a lot of the return of the Jedi stuff too, that I really have fond memories of, like most people don't care about like a week way. You know, like that's one of the few handful of toys like I can remember having. Um, so even if I get an old beat up week away, like I really dig that kind of a thing. Um, but yeah, I, and I guess back to your question, the Boba Fett would be the closest one to that because again, it was, it was less about the toy itself, but more of this weird like OCD thing that I had to fill in this checkbox on the list or it was going to drive me crazy someday. Um, and people do see Boba Fett and they're like, wow. And I'm like, I filled a hole. But um, yeah, I think that's probably as close as it would get for me. Yeah, and meanwhile, you're like, but check out this beat up Imperial commander, <laughs> you know, and I, I understand right. that yes. things that have sort of a, a history, you know, that we can, um, we're, we're, we're archivists in a lot of ways. Um, we're archeologists as well too. And, you know, we appreciate the the history of stuff and, and the history of groups of items and kind of where they, they fit. And a lot of times that comes down, there, there isn't a guide for a lot of this stuff. So, you know, especially early on. Right. So it, it comes down to having conversations with people who worked at Kenner or who worked at the toy stores, um, or, or finding, you know, uh, research documents and, and coming up and, you know, and kind of putting these pieces of the puzzle together to finally figure out where this item comes from and why it's important to the history of say Kenner or Star Wars in general. So, um, I'm glad that, that you care enough to, um, to archive pieces like that. Will those pieces be available at all in, uh, in a future auction? Yeah. Yep. Hakes has them and with the whole binder and all that stuff. So I'm assuming at some point they'll they'll be available. Oh, terrific. I think, I think there will be interest in that because I, I think people do really care about, um, the historical perspective of collecting. So that's great to know. Um, okay. So we had mentioned this 
earlier, you had talked about this uh, slightly, but I want to go a little more in depth on it because um, it was really one of the questions that I had going into talking to you about this. Um, so last year definitely marked the peak of collectibles as far as larger prices and, and general interest overall. Um, and since then, there's been more of a noticeable decline right where we we've seen right. fewer people buying stuff and fewer people interested in buying stuff are you concerned at all about leaving the fate of these sales across you know a, a group of different auctions um in the hands of bidders in what appears as of right now to be somewhat of a down market um i mean ideally i would have liked to have made the decision a while ago when when the market was at its peak but um, but I'm really not, man. Like I'm, I'm, I'm at peace with it. And I, I understand that like nobody can control the market. Like even from auction to auction, the exact same item might, you know, fetch twice the bidding that, that it does, you know, just six weeks later or something. So you could really drive yourself crazy. I think if you're attempting to time the perfect time, because there's, there's always going to be like, you know, even if I sold in the peak, I'd be like, oh, I wonder if it, oh, wait, it a few more years, maybe it would have peaked even higher or, um, no. So I really don't like, I'm just, I'm excited to see what happens. And, um, like, I don't, I don't have any regrets over, I, I think I would feel differently if I, uh, you know, thought that in some way it wasn't up to the market. Like it was just a bad company that I was using to, to, um, as an auction house or anything like that. But I mean, Hakes does an amazing job. And like all the photography and all the marketing and all that is on point. So I don't have that sense of like, well, if they would have done this, then maybe it would have got this kind of a thing. Like the market is what it is. Like nobody, nobody can control it. So, you know, I mean, we've, both of us, I'm sure have lucked out and been excited to get a bargain. And then, um, on the flip side, been like, who is this other guy that just inflated my price like <laughs> three times what I was thinking? Um, and you just never know. Um, so I, I'm I'm totally fine, totally fine with it. it. It would just drive me insane. I think um, if you think of it any other way, I think you have a really good perspective on it um, because I think you know people do go into an auction where they put pressure on themselves on things that they can't control. And you're right; um, it could be that you have somebody you know in this November auction coming in who has just started collecting and they have a ton of money to throw around and they're they're willing to pay you know thirty or fifty percent over whatever somebody else would be paying. Um, and then you have, you know, times where there are dips in the market, um, you know, larger dips, but I think, uh, I think you have the right attitude going into it. And I also think it was smart too, if this was on the part of Hakes, um, or if this was your call to, to parcel it out over, um, over a series of auctions. And that way you're not putting everything into one auction. And if, you know, if you have a good day or a bad day there, it's, I mean, that, that's a, a heavier gamble. Right. Yeah. And that was totally Hakes. Um, they told me how they were going to do it. I just said, here's the stuff. And they said, yeah, we'll do it over a series of auctions. We'll add it in. But, um, so yeah, and I agree. Like, I think that's the, a smart way to go too, just cause, um, I mean, they have other obligations too. So you don't want to have your whole catalog be, you know, one segment of it when you also have like the, all the political cool stuff and the, like the vintage superhero toys and all the other cool stuff that they have in any given auction. So, um, yeah, that was all them. 
I, I like the fact that when collectors have been collecting for a long time, you know, for years and decades, and then they do sell off either some of their pieces or all other pieces. Um, I like to see collectors like that who have put the time into it to be rewarded financially. Um, so uh, with all the pieces that you are selling over the, the course of these next few auctions, do you have any any plans for what you would like to do with, with your winnings or some of your winnings? Honestly, no. Um, I mean, there isn't like a specific plan. I'm not like selling to do something specific with um, whatever comes of it, but um, I'll probably just sit down with my financial planner who's way smarter than me and be like, what should I do? Or, <laughs> um, and just kind of figure it out from there, but there's no specific plan or anything within that. It's really hard to even plan because honestly, I have like no idea, um, what is going to happen when all, when it all shakes out. Um, you know, cause of some of the stuff that I have just hasn't ever, to my knowledge, like transacted publicly, like it was, you know, like a first shot case, you know, doesn't really hit the market too often or, you know, things like that. So I'm not sure what the, what the market will, will do with it. But, um, no, I, I hope it's a good problem that I end up having, you know, figuring out what to do with it, but, um, no, no specific plans yet. Okay. I, I think you'll be very happy with the results. Um, I like the way that it's situated. I, I like the way that you've collected over the years too, because you have a, a lot of really great pieces, whether they have history to them or they're, you know, a high grade, high quality one, or, you know, something like the, the pre-production pieces, the proof cards as well. Um, I forgot to mention this earlier, but you do have some proof cards, um, in the, in the catalog as well too. Uh, and you definitely, you have a Vader, which I was happy to see. Can you just tell us a little bit about the, the, uh, the proof cards that are up? Um, sure. So the, the Vader was like the first revenge or the first proof card of any kind I bought, um, was able to get. And, um, it came in that condition. I forget who I bought it from. Honestly, I, I want to say it was a, it was like a Facebook sale, but I don't think it was anybody. I don't remember that it was anybody that I knew personally. Let's just call him Andrew Davis for the heck of it. How's right. that? Right. Probably. I'm sure it was his at some point. Like, let's just, let's just assume. <laughs> um, um, but no, it was, it was like the, I really, I always wanted a proof card of Vader and that one came up. Um, then some of the other proof cards that came up were, uh, really cool purchases from a couple of them came from, um, Tracy Hamilton, um, like just, a like, a Facebook for sale post. And, um, I was able to grab a couple of, of those and, um, a couple came from Brock as well. Um, to be honest, like no real rhyme or reason. I just really like, I had a very glaring sort of two dimensional, um, pre-production gap that was bothering me. And like, I, I really like that sort of history too. Just the, um, like the artistic side of developing packaging and all that kind of stuff. And it's always been cool to me that like right now we or these days we covet, um, pre-production of the things that we literally threw away as kids. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was right. literal garbage and now it's cool to see and appreciate those things. Um, but yeah, they, they've come from a variety of sources. Those, And again, like literally no rhyme or reason. I go like just something that would come up and be like, ah, oh, that's pretty cool. I would, I would like that. Um, as you can tell I'm easily distracted from a Vader focus when, you know, I'm buying Bespin guard, proof cards and things like that but 
Well, I have to tell you, um, so I don't know if you remember, but last year a Bespin Guard proof card sold, uh, and I think it was a Revenge of the Jedi Bespin proof card, uh, and it, it sold uh, for, I want to say something like $4,200. Uh, so <laughs> you have two. Oh, really? Uh, yes, it was oh. it was madness. Um, but you, you have two, so you have a 31A Empire Strikes Back one, which I, we, we rarely see, which is great. And then we have... Um, I believe it's the revenge proof as well too. So right. you never know <laughs> with a Hakes auction, you truly Crazy. never know what's going to happen. Yes. Um, right. Could, could you, could you see yourself ever returning to collecting anything uh, or has this sell off concluded that phase permanently in your life? Um, I think it has, I think it's concluded. The only thing that I can, I think I would consider collecting and if that's sort of a loose term to use for it. Um, but I'm finding like, as I go, you know, I feel like I'm super old. I'm only 43, but I, I feel like I'm definitely old, but, um, like memories are much more important now than things. And so, you know, like we have a little shelf, a bookshelf, um, in our, uh, living room that has just, a handful of little trinkets from things like where we traveled. Um, and I could see myself continuing to want to do that because it's cool to, you know, like we'll talk to the kids about, Hey, remember when we went to wherever and we got this thing. And, um, now when we do take any sort of like a trip, that's, um, that's, I guess, souvenir worthy where we try to get something small and just have it on a shelf to, as a reminder of, uh, more of like a, a conversation starter than a thing. You know, it's just kind of a, a reminder of a cool thing we did or a cool trip we had. So to a certain extent, I guess if you want to call that collecting, um, like I, I plan on keeping all that kind of thing and adding, hopefully adding more to it as we are able to to have more experiences. But, um, but no, I don't think anything else that's sort of traditionally collected, I don't think it's yeah, it's just not me anymore. It's it's actually been really nice to not. It's a, just a different way of appreciating things without having. You know, like uh, I was at the, what was I? I was at Walmart or something, just going to pick up sort of normal R&D type stuff, um, the other morning. And like, to this day, I'm going to walk down the Star Wars toy aisle, um, and not think that oh, I need to look for this or that or that. But like, ah, oh, that's a cool Yoda. You know, like it's a, just a different feel and a different appreciation without having to amass things and worry about where you're going to put it or um, how much you're spending on it and all that kind of good stuff. So yeah, I don't, I don't see myself being a collector again. I've spoken to collectors over the years, more of the established ones, um, some of whom have stopped collecting, uh, you know, again, over the years and they've always, you know, a lot of them have said to me, you start by you come into the hobby and you come into the community collecting things. And then as time goes on, you really start to collect moments, experiences, and friendships. And, you know, when right. you start out and, and you hear that, you go, okay, yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. Sure. But I, I also like these carded figures and these loose items, and these prototypes, but as time has gone on, I mean, and I, I'm seeing it even in our community of, of friends and collectors as well, too, where more people are just excited just to get together. Um, rather than, yeah. you know, adding a, an item to their collection, hunting, 
you know, uh, the latest carded in box figures at retail. And, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, again, I, I really, I give you so much credit because I think you're making, um, a really interesting change for your life that seems to be working perfectly for where you are mentally now. And, um, and it, it sounds right. like a lot of that burden has been lifted from you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, you know, and it's kind of funny, I guess, along those lines that I didn't realize or think about, um, you know, you've asked me if I am keeping anything related and I do, I do. Um, so I have like kind of a wall of framed, uh, autographed, um, photos, you know, that I've collected at different celebrations and events. Um, and those are, will always stay with me because I always made a point to, I wanted them personalized. Um, like I never had any intent of selling them because I wanted to be able to, you know, I could point to something and be like, I met this person, you know, like we chatted about something weird or, um, as sort of that, that crossover between a collectible per se and, um, like a memory. So those, those will stay with me. I mean, obviously no one wants any autograph to tad anyway, but, um, (laughs) but they're, they're cool to, you know, when I, I can remember, you know, it's an experience that I can uh, harken back to when I see him. And in our last chat, um, you shared two pieces of advice with uh, with collectors, and, and you said it's better to be a curator than a collector. You know, being intentional about what yep. you bring home and, and how that will give you joy over merely just accumulating stuff or everything. And and to newer collectors, you emphasized connecting with people that share your passion and would be willing to help you and to to mentor you. Um, what are two other pieces of advice that you can share with us now? Oh man, for a new collector, for established collectors and newer collectors, really for anybody. Gotcha. Um, man, two more pieces of advice. Um, I guess, like for a a long time collector, um, I would say to just always be open to reevaluating um, where you're at. What brings you happiness? What doesn't? Are you, um, do you have things to have things or is there something that would be better for you or your family or your friends or, um, that kind of a thing and be open to letting go. Um, cause it's hard to do, but, um, and then I guess the other thing that I would say for sort of a, um, a collector is, as you progress too, you have to have some sort of a plan. I think that was one of the things that I never did. Um, and I don't mean a plan on what you're getting. I mean, a plan on what you're like, we can't take all this stuff with us. So what's your ultimate, um, you know, how does it end? Like, does it end in, um, I mean, there's, there are some amazing collections and I see things posted and I'm like, is that going to be in a museum someday? Or is that, you know, because it's an amazing one of a kind, item and like what happens to it when you're um when you're not around anymore like what's the what's the final outcome that you want and that might be you know passing it on to kids that might be you know donating it that might be um just having a plan that you're going to sell it at some point or whatever the case may be but um yeah have a plan it's a lot easier to have a plan than to figure it out when you when you decide like ah this just isn't for me for me anymore, but Tad, I have to tell you, I'm truly thankful that we've had these conversations. Um, cause I, 
I've already seen it through conversations with with friends and collectors who have contacted me over the week um, to talk about how what you said either inspired them to consider this or you know or to look at the larger picture or um, or just to even you know think about their their collecting habits and their collecting you know and, and their future. Um, and I yep. think you know again you're coming from a very wise uh, thoughtful position here. So your your two were to be open to letting go and to have a larger life plan. Um, and I, I think those are really important. And when we start collecting, I mean, I think you went through this too. You don't start collecting and saying, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the next decade and a half or next 30 years, and I'm going to go in this direction. And we really, we can't see that far. And we, we sort of, as collectors fall into collecting. And I right. think over time, we just get into a rhythm and we never really stop to pick our head up and to look around. And I think the pandemic did that a little for us where it gave us an opportunity to reassess our collections, reassess what, what was maybe interesting or important to us as far as collecting and the community. Um, and, I, and I think now too, that the hype of the pandemic uh, or collecting during the pandemic has diminished that people are again doing that. And I think, um, I think your words are coming at the right time for a lot of people. Right on. Yeah, I'm glad to glad to chat. It's been therapeutic for me too. You asked some tough questions, David, that make make me reflect on why I where I'm at in life. But um no, this was really fun. Oh, terrific. Well, okay, so um I just have uh one or two more quick questions for you before we go. Um what has your time as a collector meant to you? Um Man, it's been a lot. Like, uh, it's a uh, such a huge part of my life for so long that it's it's a weird feeling to not be in that sort of realm of things. Um, but I mean, you meet tons of people, you learn tons of things. Like, I mean, it's it's super weird to me too that like all of this stuff will be gone, but it's absolutely defined me because people see me as it's funny. Like, you know, even at like at work or new clients or whatever, like I've always embraced like that. I'm just a raging nerd. You know, like I don't, I don't try to hide behind it. If people ask me, what do you like to do? I'm like, oh, man, I collect star Wars toys and vintage comic books. And, <laughs> um, and like having that gone will be weird because people, you know, I think we talked about it last time, how like once people know that, then, you know, you get tagged in every like Facebook marketplace, you know, for like a stuffed, tauntaun from 19 you know 97 or whatever and um like people just view you as that so it'll be weird um to sort of change from that break away from that i mean like even my license plate is vader related so you know it's like one of those vanity plates so i'm like ah but what do i do i still rock this darth vader themed license plate or do i need to just get, get a generic one now i'm um you know things like that it's it's weird so like it it's meant it's essentially sort of defined me, not to me personally or the people that are close to me, but um, sort of the larger um, group of people that I know. Like, I'm, you know, you get viewed as that's the nerdy guy that, that like, in an endearing way. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I don't feel like anybody was had animosity or belittling or anything like that. Everybody tends to think it's really cool. Um, but it'll be weird to not have that as a larger defining characteristic i think are you excited at this sort of reboot that you're going through now where you're going to kind of redefine who you are 
Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and it's weird. I mean, I, I don't really consider it redefining who I am because like nothing about me is changing. It's just, um, I mean, people, there's no way that people aren't still going to ask me questions about the latest episode of whatever came out. And, you know, I'll have to try to tell them that I have no idea what the backstory is of that guy. So, um, I, I'm not, not helpful, but, um, but yeah, I'm excited to just put that sort of behind. I mean, there, you can be a star Wars fan. You can enjoy science fiction. You can enjoy movies and all that without amassing stuff. So that doesn't change at all. It just changes what, is displayed in my house and um what i spend money and time on and research and that kind of a thing and i think for me as a friend i I think um that's where i'm most excited to see now where you go from here because you're going to have more time uh more more space within your mind as well too that's not devoted to collecting and acquiring and hunting and researching and i i'm very curious to see what you do with that time now. Uh, cause I, I, I think you, um, you have such great stuff around you, you know, your job, your family, um, your activities, um, your interests as well too, your relationships. And I, I, it'll be interesting to see kind of what fills in those gaps that was previously taken by collecting. Right. I'm, I'm sure I'll find something. Okay, well, um, just if you can give us a little tease as of what's to come, uh, what are some of the notable items that we could look forward to seeing in future Hakes auctions from the Tadmore collection? Um, man, lots of carded stuff. There's some cool uh, um, pre-production stuff. Some, what do I have? Oh, some general Maidine hard copy parts. Um, I never put together the full um, hard copy, but that'll be in a future auction. Um, some really cool proof sheets, like largers for like, you know, like for the sleeve of a Vader case, I have a really cool proof, um, like a laser pistol proof that came from Tom Derby. It's on a, instead of being on a thick cardstock, it's like a, a much thinner rolled paper, um, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, lots, if you're looking for completeness, like lots of just random card backs, um, that can fill lots of holes in collections, um, yeah, yeah, that kind of a thing. Fantastic. Tad, it was really it was so nice to have these these longer conversations with you um over the past week and and to really get to know you better and to see where you are mentally as far as your journey and, and what's happening in your in your life. Um again, I think you've shared so much wisdom with us and really thankful for that. I, I there's something that comes from collector conversations, and I know you felt this over the years, that talking with others and getting different perspectives and, and, um, and just talking about collecting too. I think it, it helps, it helps to open our minds. I think it's a mutual, um, it's mutually advantageous, you know, and it just, it helps to open our minds to, to new perspectives, new ideas, especially with collecting and stepping outside of collecting. Um, so I'm, I'm so excited. I'm going to be rooting you on. Uh, we only have, um, oh gosh, I think we only have what, two more weeks until the auction starts. Right. Yep. Yep. Almost done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I look forward to seeing what happens in this one and what happens in future ones as well, too. And um, I'm so thankful for our, our friendship. And I just I wish you the best uh, over the, the next few months and, and year. Awesome. Thanks so much, David. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm.